This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined for this episode by special guest Joe Dolan. Joe, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am really excited to have you. Paul, it's great to be on here. Um, I'm very sorry. Uh, of course, you're introducing me, and my Slack is going off immediately. So I have now closed that. That's fine. <laughs> That's all. But I guess I guess that shows you that with with my Slack going off in the first three seconds of the podcast, that uh, we're busy over at FantasyPoints.com. So uh, so I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And you mentioned fancy points and you guys, you know, established pretty recently. So why don't you, if there's anybody of my audience who is not familiar with what you guys got going on over at fantasy points and some of the big heavy hitters you have there, you know, maybe just give my audience a little bit of a snapshot of uh, who's a part of it and what you guys are doing over there. So, um, well, first and foremost, thank you for the kind words, but uh, over at fantasypoints.com, we have what I think is just an unbelievable content team and and make no mistake. um, I, I, I think what our focus is content. Our focus is reading and listening and watching um, and, and, and the ability of you guys to do that and kind of absorb our knowledge. And it, it's uh, John Hansen's the OG. John Hansen's the majority owner and the publisher of FantasyPoints.com. But it was in the works for a long time. So myself, who had been with John at Fantasy Guru back in the day for, for over a decade, um, and, and Tom Brawley, who, if you guys are familiar with myself and, and with Tom, we did the Fantasy Free Agents podcast last year in our kind of transition year from our old site to the new site. Um, and then we brought in an old friend, Graham Barfield, who was uh, erstwhile of NFL.com, but he was with us back at Fantasy Guru back in the day as well. And we also brought in Scott Barrett from Pro Football Focus to kind of head all of our fantasy content. But in addition to that, um, we have something that nobody else has in the industry. We have exclusive access for a fantasy site to Greg Cosell of NFL Films, which, as a matter of fact, right before I came on this podcast, and this would be why my Slack was blowing up, I just uh, I just finished editing another film room piece from Greg to put up on the website. We have NFL insider Adam Kaplan. We also have two two like legitimate medical doctors on staff and Dr. Edwin Porras and Dr. Mark Addicts. Um, Dr. Mark Addicts also used to play in the NFL. So we have a wide range of content. So if you're a stat head, Graham and especially Scott are going to, are going to just cover all your bases. If you just like the football angle, Cosell and Kaplan are going to cover your bases. If you're interested in injuries, Edwin and Mark are going to cover your bases. And, you know, and if you just like to hear somebody babble, I'm going to cover your bases. Uh, our IDP guys are great. Tom Brawley is really spearheading our betting angle. Tom's just the sharpest fantasy player I know. He has a je ne sais quoi. He has something that I don't think can be quantified. Um, he's just really good at fantasy and he, and he relates it well to the everyman. So, and then obviously, you know, John Hansen, um, and, and, and his impact on the industry. So I just think we have top to bottom, the best content team that there is in the fantasy industry. And it's an industry that's growing and changing, but I, I think we've, we've established a hell of a, a hell of a crew there at fantasy points. Yeah, guys, I can echo a lot of what Joe just said. I know as soon as it became available to, you know, get a premium subscription, you know, to lock in for this year, I, I, w- I did it immediately because I don't think there's another site out there that blends the fantasy 
inside NFL analytical approach and then the draft component and the film watching that they have over there with the team of guys that he just went through and talked about. So I'm really excited. Best of luck to you with that, Joe. I have little doubt that it is going to be beyond successful. I really appreciate that, Paul. But, you know, nobody I don't think people are here to listen to us. um, Let's just say service fantasypoints.com i think that maybe maybe they want some information too so hey what do you say we get into it what do you think is that a good idea absolutely so let's turn let's turn this attention to talking about some 2020 prospects who you know where they landed you know short-term long-term value i have had a collection of guests recently you know from matt williamson to matt wallman to mike clay most recently mike tagliere and many others that, you know, here at Saturday, Sunday, we talk about these guys for years. I mean, we're following these guys from the minute they step foot in the college until they're drafted. And then we kind of follow them for another year or so while they're in the NFL. And then we kind of turn the page, you know, to all those other great sites that are out there and places that talk about them. But we really hone in on their transition through college to the NFL. And there's so many different guests and different opinions that you're just another one that I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit and talk about these guys. So let's start right at the running back position because – You know, there was a clear, I think, consensus top five running backs before the NFL draft. And then they got drafted all with good draft capital from either the last pick of the first round through like, you know, pretty late into the second round. But all five of those guys go relatively early. We here at Saturday to Sunday have been saying they all kind of have a roommate right now in that backfield that could be short term, a little bit longer term for us. Kind of just talk us through the the top of that running back board and, you know, how you prefer either maybe for the short term or the long term in terms of the dynasty outlook. Well, first and foremost, um, we obviously understand what the value of the running back is in today's NFL, right? I mean, we 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 get it. It's it's there. There's a let's just say there's a pretty healthy debate. And I think at this point is relatively one sided about what the debate is about the running backs. So we understand that, but we also like to watch them. And they're the key. They're the key position for fantasy football. So that being said, landing spot is so important. And look, if for instance, we got DeAndre Swift right now, ranked number fifth, number five of the top five, the big five, as you were alluding to. Of those running backs, he's ranked fifth for Dynasty over at FantasyPoints.com. However, had DeAndre Swift gotten drafted where Clyde Edwards-Alaire was drafted in the first round to Kansas City, he would have been number one for Dynasty for us. So that just shows you how important landing spot is, but... I got to be honest with you, Paul. I'm in on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, Andy Reid's track record with running backs is just utterly stellar. Here, the question I have when it comes to to Andy Reid and and his running backs: not only has he gotten production dating back to his time with Philadelphia, so you're talking Deuce Staley, Brian Westbrook, Lashawn McCoy, Jamal Charles. Even Damian Williams, Spencer Ware, these guys have been impact fantasy players. And in the case of somebody like Westbrook and McCoy, they were impact fantasy players for a long time with Andy Reid as coach. When when has Andy Reid, when has an Andy Reid team, where he obviously also has strong personnel influence, when have they missed on a running back? Yeah, never, almost never. I mean, yeah, like, all right, of course, you're going to find a fourth, a fifth, or a sixth rounder somewhere. Of course, that's going to happen. Those are late-round picks. But Brian Westbrook's a third-round pick. Well, Sean McCoy was a second-round pick. Deuce Staley was a second-round pick, but that was before Andy Reid got there to Philadelphia. 
And Kareem Hunt was a third-round pick in Kansas City. So I, I don't know about you, but I consider when a running back is drafted in the top three rounds, I generally consider that a pretty premium pick on a running back in today's NFL. You expect that player to come in and become some level of an impact player. So whenever an Andy Reid team has done that at the running back position – these guys have come through. And I'm even the, the Andy Reid was in power in Philadelphia when they drafted Deion Lewis in Philadelphia. Now he went off to, to to do bigger things in New England, but he was there when they drafted him. So Andy Reid running backs have had a lot of success in the NFL, big time fantasy success. And what does it say about Clyde Edwards Alaire that he was the highest drafted of all of those guys? Yeah, Sean McCoy's a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, I think you make I think you make great points there. They the success that he's had, and it's amazing the 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 razor thin line, like you said, between Clyde Edwards-Helaire and DeAndre Swift, and you flip flop teams, and you probably flip flop them in the dynasty rankings, and that's for, just for sure. And that's just you know kind of how you know kind of how this plays itself out at the running back position. Two things: one, a follow up on uh, and and a question on Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. In terms of Jonathan Taylor, where are you in terms of? level of comfort or concern in terms of the impact that he might have in terms of or lack thereof in terms of his receiving ability who I look at him and I kind of think Leonard Fournette in that regards in terms of the receiving ability could he catch and have a year like Leonard Fournette just had sure if he really is peppered with targets but probably not going to be his forte and then compared to a guy like J.K. Dobbins who we kind of got to wait a year, but he might be in, in, in just as good a landing spot, scheme fit, you know, open rushing lanes, the RPOs as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. How do you kind of take those two things into consideration? Jonathan Taylor and the lack thereof of receiving and J.K. Dobbins maybe potentially having to wait a year for really for us to see those fantasy goodness. Well, you, you take the whole situation into into, uh, into consideration here. Now, when it comes, well, let me start with J.K. Dobbins, who we have ranked third for Dynasty, and I know there are some who have him ranked two. Even some people love him and love the spot, and, are, and might even aggressively pursue him as RB one for Dynasty in this class. But the way I look at J.K. Dobbins is, if Mark Ingram wasn't there, he would be a second round pick, right? Like, I mean, if Mark Ingram did not exist, would J.K. Dobbins be going ahead of Clyde Edwards Alaire in redraft? Yeah, it's a good question. So you see that kind of upside, but you also have to keep in mind, but wait a minute, Joe. Mark Ingram does exist. Mark Ingram ran for over a thousand yards last year and scored five receiving touchdowns, which was a fluke. Probably won't happen again, but he does exist. So J.K. Dobbins flopped the nuts in terms of landing spot. The Ravens are the best running team in football. Lamar Jackson is going to give them the opportunity to to just always open up massive run lanes. And you have to keep in mind, they're well constructed behind Lamar Jackson if Lamar Jackson were to get hurt to do the same thing because they have Robert Griffin III and Trace McSorley behind him. So although neither guy is as dynamic as as Lamar Jackson, they're able to run the same kind of offense with those guys. So keep that in mind when it comes to J.K. Dobbins. Um, but I'm much more aggressive drafting Jonathan Taylor, at least redraft. Uh, first and foremost, I thought he was a spectacular prospect. Um, I thought he was a far better prospect than J.K. Dobbins. And while Dobbins' landing spot, like I said, he flopped the nuts in terms of landing spot, I think Jonathan Taylor's is really good as well because the Colts might have the best offensive line in pro football. Um, the, the, the question for Taylor is you've got this competition with Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines and what are they going to use in that backfield there? But I'm just trying to look at this realistically. 
the Colts are kind of an analytical darling team. You know, Chris Ballard it embraces analytics. Frank Reich comes from comes from the Doug Peterson coaching tree and, and therefore from the Andy Reid coaching tree where analytics are a huge part of the decision-making process there. And the Colts, a smart, analytic-driven team, traded up for Jonathan Taylor into the second round. And when you watch Jonathan Taylor, I I don't see a guy, I don't know about you, Paul, but I don't see a guy watching him where I'm like, man, you know, if it, all he needs is five to seven carries and he's going to make his impact on the game. I, I just don't see him that way. I see him as a 15 to 20 touch a game guy, a sustaining type of running back. And, and by that, I don't mean a plotter. I our, our guy, Greg Cosell at Fantasy Points, compared him to Ezekiel Elliott. So I see a guy in Jonathan Taylor who the Colts aggressively traded up for him. They have an awesome offensive line. I'm just I'm just trying not to overthink this, and I'm going to say I think he gets 225, 250 carries as a rookie, and I just just don't think I can predict that for J.K. Dobbins. I think I think Jonathan Taylor is a huge hit to Marlon Mack, just a huge one, because I don't know why the Colts would make that move and then keep giving Marlon Mack 10 to 12 carries. It doesn't make sense. Jonathan Taylor, his impact cannot be felt in eight to 10 carries. I think he needs the 15 to 18, maybe even 20 plus per game. Yeah, I agree with you in terms of he's going to carry a heavy workload. Like, you're not going to be giving the ball to Marlon Mack late in the games to close out games. That's 100% going to be Jonathan Taylor, and you're not going to be sitting on Jonathan Taylor early in the game. So he's going to be involved throughout the entire game, and I think it speaks volumes in terms of it hurting the impact of Marlon Mack. The other two of the top five, real quick, is there one... You know, I know you mentioned before that DeAndre Swift was number five, so maybe that is the answer here. But is there one situation of of DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers that worries you most? Is it the organization in Detroit and who knows if Matt Patricia and them are there next year? Is it Kerryon Johnson, who's had two years but not been able to stay healthy, but when he is, pretty good player, I thought? Or is it the offensive line and the presence of Darrell Henderson, Mm -hmm. you know, recently taken last year, a team trading up aggressively to get him last year. What has you maybe a little bit more concerned of those two situations? So I I think the Lions in general are are the more concerning situation. Now, I agree. I think the Lions offensive line might actually be underrated. I think it's a decent offensive line. They have a new right side of the line, I believe, but it's a decent offensive line, much better than the Rams might have had one of the two or three worst offensive lines in pro football last year but you know Matt Patricia and and Bob Quinn have come out and they say oh we really want this this combo we want this we want this thunder and lightning and uh, it just dampens DeAndre Swift for me and and uh, maybe I have a blind spot here I do love the guy as a prospect so I should probably diversify a little bit but in best balls I haven't drafted Swift once um, and I'm in on these rookie running backs. If, in case you haven't noticed, I'm I'm really excited about this class. But I haven't drafted Swift once just because the vibes aren't great. I'm starting to feel opposite vibes from Cam Akers. I'm starting to think they really like him. And you brought up Dar- Darrell Henderson. Well, here's the interesting thing. They traded up for Henderson last year, a third-round pick, 20, 2019. As we were talking about earlier, premium kind of pick. And then the used a second round pick on Cam Akers. Now, there's one of two things you can think. A, A, the Rams have no idea how to value the running back position, or B, they're admitting that they missed on Daryl Henderson. So I'm kind of thinking I'm more in in the latter camp. 
Uh, I thought Daryl Henderson, when it was at, when he was out there last year, it was kind of obvious he was overthinking things. Um, and one thing that uh, I picked up from Greg Cosell and his draft guy that we have at fantasypoints.com is he noticed that Cam Akers, by the way, who played behind a very bad offensive line at Florida State, a really bad line. So he, at least he has experience doing that. Dalvin Cook had similar experience at Florida State. He, Cam Akers was a high school quarterback. And Greg Cosell kind of noted when watching Cam Akers, he's like, man, this guy really seems to understand what defenses are going to do, what direction they're going to flow at the snap, his understanding of fronts and boxes and where the holes are going to be. And I wonder if if the Rams saw that kind of cerebral running from Cam Akers and were like, you know, we didn't get that from Henderson last year. Henderson didn't even play 100 snaps on offense despite Todd Gurley being a mummy out there. So uh, I, to me, I think Cam Akers is going to come in and be the lead back for the Rams. Doesn't mean he's going to get 300 touches, but I think he's going to be the lead back for the Rams. And I've been pulling the trigger on him in the fifth round of best ball drafts as a third running back, because I really do like the upside there. I'm, I'm in on Akers and J.K. Dobbins around the same range, but I think Akers has a better chance to be impactful earlier in the season than J.K. Dobbins. So if you want instant impact, I actually think Akers is going to be the better bet to provide that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like Dobbins more long-term, but I do like Akers more in the short term. You mentioned multiple times so far here and talking to you about, you know, that those high-value picks at the running back position, those top three rounds. Well, there were a couple other guys that snuck in there. Where do you stand? Because I think Keyshawn Vaughn might be one of the most polarizing players in terms of the fantasy community. Some really in, some not in, some thinking it could be a short-term fix. Where do you stand on Keyshawn Vaughn? And then A.J. Dillon and Zach Moss. Is A.J. Dillon a guy that you think the Packers really are going to say goodbye to Aaron Jones after the year? That when so many seem to be down on A.J. Dillon right now, is he maybe a sneaky guy for Dynasty Leagues to get because he could be the guy a year from now? Uh, what do you kind of make of those two situations? Well, it's funny you mentioned A.J. Dillon. I'm going to start with him because he was a second-round pick. Now, again— you can criticize the pick all you want. Like, oh my God, the Packers don't know what they're doing. They had a horrible draft. Okay, fair. They still made the pick. They still, so you, when we're, when we're uh, playing fantasy football, we are, we're, uh, look, we all have opinions. Okay. We, we can say, hey, oh my God, Matt LaFleur doesn't know what he's doing. Brian Guttenkunz doesn't know what he's doing. And I can't believe they made these picks. Okay. But when you're playing fantasy, you, you, can't make lineup decisions or draft decisions based on what you think the optimal strategy for that coach would be. You have to react to what those coaches will actually do. So, you know, like I funny you mentioned like with the Packers, the whole Jeff Janis thing on Twitter for 10 years, it seems all right. The Packers, you could think Jeff Janis was a great prospect and he's buried, but the Packers don't think so. And they're not playing him. So why is he on your roster? So, you have to look at the fact that the Packers made this decision for a reason. And I agree with you that A.J. Dillon is kind of sneaky. Um, he's a double-digit round pick in best ball. I, I love Aaron Jones, by the way. I still am drafting him in the second round. Um, but uh, I, we just did a startup dynasty draft over at FantasyPoints.com, and I think Scott Barrett took A.J. Dillon in, like, the 11th round. And I was like, damn it. I was like, damn, because I just made a pick, and I'm like, man, I really wish I had made that pick instead because say what you want about him. He's a big guy. He can run. And I guarantee you, Matt LaFleur sees some Derrick Henry in him. I don't think Dylan's nearly as good a runner or a prospect as Derrick Henry was, 
but that's clearly what he sees. And Matt LaFleur was in Tennessee when they made the transition to Derrick Henry. So I think for Dynasty, he is a very sneaky pick. And if Aaron Jones were to get hurt, I wouldn't be shocked if he overtook Jamal Williams as the lead back in Green Bay. So he's definitely sneaky. The other guy you brought up, Keyshawn Vaughn, I got to be honest. Paul, I want your opinion here. This is your podcast. I really don't know what to do with him right now. I I just don't. And and he's kind of in that dead zone for me where I probably, in a best ball draft at least, I've drafted enough running backs where I'm probably taking a receiver where I'm drafting Keyshawn, where people are drafting Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm just, I, I could see it both ways. I could see him coming in and being the lead back and I could see him in a crappy three, four man rotation in that backfield. And it's just not a situation I have, I have a good read on. What's, what's your read there? Because it, it's a, it's a spot that's ripe for the picking, but there's also kind of similar, like he's kind of similar to Ronald Jones. He's not a, he didn't, he wasn't a jitterbug receiver in college. I'm just not really sure what to do there. Yeah, I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn, I, I I feel very similarly. He's not a guy who I was ever that excited about as a prospect. You know, last year there was a lot of talk that he might come out. So we were really studying him closely, you know, a year ago. And then he didn't come out. Obviously, Vanderbilt had a lot of issues this year with their team. You know, he couldn't really overcome a lot of those obstacles. And, and that's not really on him because even Cam Akers, we've seen, we saw at times he couldn't overcome those obstacles either. But there's just nothing about his game that really stands out. And there seems to be this false narrative since the the draft that he's some kind of apt receiver and it's really not true like if people watch his watch his you know college film and even just examine the stats like early in his career his first couple years were like 12 18 13 I mean this year this past year he caught 28 passes but they were really very much of the check down variety because Vanderbilt had a really poor team and a quarterback that was very you know frazzled at times so I don't think he's the guy that's going to clearly be that receiving option for the Buccaneers that maybe if he's best in pass protection and I'm sure he's better than Ronald Jones that might get him some on the field thing but I'm not sure I think he's a guy that even with the third round capital I think they kind of were maybe hoping to get one of those top five. And then they kind of said, we need somebody and they maybe reached on him a little bit. I could see if Tom Brady's still there a year from now, they go back to the well and get a first or second round running back next year or go out and get a free agency. I don't have him on any of my best ball teams. You mentioned A.J. Dillon before. I'd much rather take A.J. Dillon at the end of the draft as my RB5 for best ball or RB6 and then try to get enough my top four running backs are usually before we get to the Keyshawn Von rage, because I think it could go either way in terms of fantasy production between him and Ronald Jones. And then you've even heard the whispers about, you know, maybe they go out and get a veteran if the, if the mm-hmm. cost becomes better and maybe they go out and get a Devonte Freeman or somebody like that. So I'm completely out people taking him in round one of dynasty rookie drafts. I think they're going to be regretting that a year from now. Yeah. I think that's a very fair, fair take. And, and then, you know, but uh, you know, I also see it from the other direction where like, man, Keyshawn Vaughn, this Tom Brady offense, he's a he's a great speedy downhill runner, explosive. Man, we should have seen this coming. Um, that there's some Sony Michelle traits there, but I'm kind of with you. I think I'm more out than I am in on him. But the the guy I, I think I'm I'm way in on, and especially at his cost, which at this point is like three, four rounds cheaper in best ball and and certainly cheaper in Dynasty than Keyshawn Vaughn is Zach Moss. Um a little birdie has told me, and take this with whatever size grain of salt you want to take it with, the Bills are in love with this guy. 
like, Interesting. in love with him. Like, um, he's got a little Frank Gore in him. Brandon Bean actually said the same thing. He's like, look, we, we think he can play the Frank Gore role. Um, Devin Singletary wasn't a great protector. Um, Singletary's receiving ability, that's up in the air. Moss showcased that. Um, in college, I think Singletary, maybe Singletary is more of the change of pace guy and Moss is the lead guy. People, I think, are out on this backfield in general because they understand Josh Allen's the goal line back here. Allen has 17 rushing touchdowns in his two NFL seasons. So there's not a whole lot of touchdown upside for a guy like Zach Moss. But at the cost, ninth, tenth round, vis-a-vis sixth, seventh round for Keyshawn Vaughn, I'll take Moss 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I think you I think you bring up good points there. And Singletary was a guy that was very it was very lukewarm on, on buying into last year because he wasn't a very big powerful runner. He wasn't a in college, he wasn't a very good pass catcher. He, you know, I didn't think he had the size and frame to be the goal line guy. So even as he was racking up that success last year, it was obvious that Buffalo didn't want to give all in until they had to. They kept feeding Frank Gore. So I'm right there with you. I think it's I think he's going too high. I don't own any Devin Singletary shares in, in best ball drafts. I think if you in Dynasty, I would probably be looking to get out and sell if I could, because if Zach Moss becomes more of the goal line runner and short yards runner with whatever with what Josh Allen already brings to the table, I'm not sure there's enough there to really make Devin Singletary all that valuable if he becomes a compliment or change of pace early down runner. So, so I'm right there with you on the Zach Moss thing. If we take this to the wide receivers, and obviously we're not going to talk anywhere near about all of them because it's an endless list. <laughs> right talk the, for about three hours. Hundred percent. Let's let's start this way. Immediate impact this year. If you were going to say one or two guys you think are going to bring the most fantasy impact this year, who would it be? And then we'll talk about some some dynasty and long term things after that. Uh, so I'm going to, I think the two guys who are in the best position to like really get a massive target share on their current teams. One is not going to surprise you. That's Jalen Rager. Um, now, uh, who knows what's going to happen with Philadelphia. Philadelphia's already had some bad offseason luck um, with Brandon Brooks going down with an injury. So God knows what, what the heck's going to happen there. But you know, every everybody on planet Earth know they need speed there. I think Rager's a baller dynamic um uh, he Deshaun Jackson's taking him under his wing so Jalen Rager has been one of my most drafted uh receivers in best ball just because I really like the cost um in regards to the kind of upside that he has with a really aggressive play caller in Doug Peterson and a really aggressive quarterback in Carson Wentz so Jalen Rager is the guy who I think can come in and make an instant impact but if you're going to ask me who I think would be the best bet to have the of this rookie class to have the highest target share percentage on his team. I don't think it's CeeDee Lamb for obvious reasons. I don't think it's Jerry Judy for obvious reasons. I don't think it's Henry Ruggs. Justin Jefferson and, and Jalen Rager, I think, are, are decent bets. But I honestly think it's Michael Pittman. And Michael Pittman, look, look at that Indianapolis receiving core outside of Pittman right now. Paris Campbell, who had basically a lost rookie season. T.Y. Hilton, who's had a ton of injuries the last few years. Um, the, the tight end group lost Eric Ebron. So you got Jack Doyle, who's a solid player. Michael Pittman is going to be the X receiver right away in Indianapolis. So I actually think he's like a decent bet to lead rookie wide receivers in catches. And I, 
I know that he was like, what, the seventh wide receiver drafted? But in a normal year, he might have been a first-round pick, and we're talking about him a heck of a lot more. His ADP in, in best balls has risen. I think you can make a really good argument this guy should be a first-round pick in Dynasty just based on the opportunity, and he's huge, too. He's got... He's got football bloodlines. Obviously, his dad is Michael Pittman, the running back from the Buccaneers on those Super Bowl teams or that Super Bowl team. He's 6'4", 223. He has classic X size. He is going to play right away in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, I think Pittman, I think 100% in a different year, he's a first-round pick. I mean, mm-hmm. I know before the draft, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, they they were comping him to a guy like Mike Williams who went in the top 10. And I think Pittman's even more athletic by a lot than a guy like Mike Williams. You know, it's fun, kind of funny that Phillip Rivers is is coming from playing with Mike Williams and now he's going to be playing with Michael Pittman. So I, I agree. He's a guy who's very, you know, a lot of experience in college, you know, staying for his whole career there. So I, I really like the Michael Pittman thing. I was interested to see where you were going to go with that. If it was going to be Henry Ruggs or Justin Jefferson, who I do think will get a lot of targets as well. If we think a little bit more big picture, long term, where do you stand on the Jerry Judy, C.V. Lamb side? Do you favor with the better situation in terms of the quarterback play? Or do you, you know, but also Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup there? Or do you favor more on, you know, Jerry Judy? You know, Drew Locks an unknown. They have Cortland Sutton. Where do you kind of fall on those two? And do you have those two ahead of Henry Ruggs, who we, you know, could theoretically have that Tyree Kill upside of all things, you know, perfectly hit? Got Judy number one for Dynasty. I, I just I just think he's a special prospect. Now there's apparently some questions about a knee that those, you know, some teams will red flag a guy and some teams will be like, hey, we're not worried about it. Clearly the Broncos were not worried about it. He's hooked him in the first round. Um Drew Locke, I, look, I, I think it's fair to approach Drew Locke with with understandable skepticism. He showed pretty well in the five games he played, but he played five games. And, and he was a second-round pick for a reason, both good and bad. There was reasons he wasn't a fourth-round pick, and there were reasons he wasn't a first-round pick. So you, you have to take all those things into account. Also acknowledge John Elway probably made the right decision deciding – hey, we're going to see if this kid has it rather than going out and getting another Band-Aid like Joe Flacco or Case Keenum. So I have Judy number one for Dynasty because ultimately, if Drew Locke falls flat on his face this year, the Broncos are a great situation for a veteran quarterback or a young quarterback in 2020, 2021 rather, to come in there and instantly produce. So maybe I'll take the year sabbatical if Drew Locke stinks and still believe in Jerry Judy long-term. CeeDee Lamb, I think, is going to have to battle for his targets, but I was a little surprised when I looked at that at the numbers when breaking down Lamb because I'm like, oh, my God, what a terrible spot for fantasy for everybody outside of, of Dak Prescott. But Randall Cobb and Jason Witten are each vacating 83 targets, and that's that's not total. That's each. 166 targets are available in that offense from Cobb and Jason Witten. Now you expect Blake Jarwin's going to take some of them, but I think C.D. Lamb could have a pretty solid year as like a wide receiver four if he gets Randall Cobb's 83 targets. So there's a decent situation there. Um, for Henry Ruggs, I'm, I'm a little concerned that he's a more of an impact guy in real life than he is for fantasy. And I, like, I think he could be a really good real life player who, who is a game changer for the Raiders without ever catching 90 passes in a season. So I have him ranked third of those big three for dynasty, especially since the Raiders are also pretty loaded up with weapons. Remember, they drafted, uh, Brian Edwards too. So they've got a lot of weapons there in, in, in Vegas. So 
I rank them for Dynasty: Judy, Lamb, uh, Rugs, and I have I have Jalen Rager in between Judy and Lamb. Uh, Jalen Rager is my number two dynasty receiver, but I, like I, I think the the spots are a little sticky, which is why I have Jalen Rager higher than Lamb and Rugs. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Judy is my number one uh, as well. Just his route running to me is, is one of the best I've ever seen in terms of evaluating prospects since I've been doing this here at Saturday Sunday. I like CD Lamb a lot. I think you know what we saw. He's Judy solved more NFL problems in college than than CD Lamb. So that's where I kind of you know have my take on it right now. If we take the situation out of it, I like them a little bit more pre-draft. So I'm sticking with that right now. But I think you bring up a lot of really good points there. Final wide receiver question in whatever whether we want to call it tier three tier four is there somebody that we haven't talked about yet from the t higgins who might end up being the alpha guy there long term if he's is successful with joe burrow brandon Ayuk, who you know after the catch guy in the perfect scheme for him denzel mims with the jets tons of targets up for grabs in the long term or lavisca chenault in jacksonville who kind of went under the radar a little bit because he didn't have as good a year. And then the injury ran port, the combine. Is there somebody from that group that you kind of clearly have ahead of the rest of them in terms of long-term that you're excited about? It's Ayuk. And and look, the 49ers took him in the first round. I know Kyle Shanahan came out and said, Oh my God, he's our number one wide receiver in this draft class. And I don't know if I truly believe that coaches are always going to say, Oh my God, we were sweating. I, I, I really hoped that this guy was going to be there. Um, there, there were some reports out there that the 49ers were really enamored with Jalen Rager um, as well. So who knows about that? But Brandon, I, the fact that the Niners traded down when they had an opportunity to, to draft CD land and when they had an opportunity to draft Jerry Judy and they still trade it back probably shows you what they thought of the Ayukes and the Ragers and the guys who were going at the end of the first round. They were, they were probably pretty pleased with them. But when you talk about a scheme fit, I mean, can you get any better than Brandon Ayuk in San Francisco? San Francisco were the yak gods of of the NFL last year. Um, George Kittle's the best yak tight end in the NFL. Debo Samuel was unbelievable after the catch. And Brandon Ayuk, 10.9 yards after the catch per reception, led all incoming rookies in this draft class. He's a former running back so he's got that pedigree he's going to be able to be used on those jet sweeps the same way they use cd lamb he can line up out of the backfield but he's also bigger or excuse me uh uh, uh, debo samuel not cd lamb um uh, he's also bigger than debo samuel so you you look at brandon you can say all right he's going to play the x here but he can also be used all over the formation this is a toy for the San Francisco 49ers. And the great news with Ayuk is he's affordable in both dynasty and in redraft. I mean, you can get him in the last two or three rounds of the best ball draft right now. And I love that kind of upside as a wide receiver seven. And you can, I've seen him fall into the second round in dynasty, in dynasty drafts, uh, dynasty rookie drafts. I'm going to be willing to bet on Kyle Shanahan and his ability to scheme things up when it comes to Brandon Ayuk. I think that's a great value for a guy who was taken in the first round where they don't have, they, they don't have like somebody who's really hounding targets outside of George Kittle. I'll be willing to pay that price because I mean, it's really pennies on the dollar for the kind of talent that Ayuk is. 
Yeah, I think Ayuk is maybe right now one of the most devalued uh, rookies, or I should say undervalued rookies in Dynasty drafts. I've been in drafts myself, and I'm blown away at how far he's falling. And I think part of that is is the draft, fantasy, Twitter community, whatever you want to call it. There's this mentality of like, Ayuk is a little bit was off the radar. He wasn't a guy that we've been talking about for years. And people, you know, here at Saturday Sunday, we're all about film. But people who are big into the analytics component of it, the breakout ages, the market shares, you know, Brandon Ayuk didn't check off those boxes because he was, you know, he he came from, uh, he he transferred there and then he played behind Nikhil Harry, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so there was all these things that kind of held him back in the Debbie and draft and fantasy Twitter community. And I think even with the first round capital, people are still not buying in as much as they should. When they heard Daniel Jeremiah and other people saying he was probably going to go in round one, I don't think many people want to buy into that. His ADP before the draft in like rookie mock drafts was low, and it hasn't even came up based on where he landed and the draft capital attached. And I think it's a mistake because like you said, I think he could be very effective in that scheme for sure. So I think, I think of that, I'm, I was interested to hear you talk about him a little bit more because I do think he's going undervalued. Every time I have a guest on, I end the, the show by asking them one tight end question and one quarterback question, because there's not a lot to talk about it, 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 with those two mm-hmm. positions. So let me, let me go to tight end real quick. Is there one or two names that in a deep dynasty draft, you know, taxi squads, you know, or a tight end premium that intrigue you the most? Is it a is it Trapman waiting in the wings in New Orleans? Is it Cole Komet who has a lot of other bodies there in Chicago, but no one really good? Is it one of the New England guys? Maybe Harrison Bryan if Najoku moves on in in a year or so. Is there one or two tight end names that their value right now intrigue you? Well, I really like Devin Asiasi. Um, he's my number three dynasty tight end of this of this group. Um, but with, without getting too long winded on him, I, I actually think he's got a chance for instant impact, which the other guy I'm about to talk about probably doesn't. Um, my number one dynasty tight end from this group is Adam Troutman, and I am ahead of Cole Komet. I thought he was a better prospect first and foremost. But also, you look at what the team did. New Orleans made a mini Ricky Williams trade. New Orleans traded its entire day three haul, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh, to trade into the third round to take Adam Troutman. Again, what does that tell you? They loved this guy. They 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 weren't doing that, Paul, if they had a third round grade on him. They probably had a second round grade on him, and that's why they were willing to trade four picks to go up to get him. I think Adam Troutman is... Uh, he's gonna. You have to understand. Drew Brees might retire after this year if, if if his teammates don't force him out of New Orleans in the first place. So you have to understand that the situation here might be a little tricky. But they loved him. They made that deal for him. I thought he was a great prospect. He's my number one dynasty tight end from this class. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The two guys you just talked about, they're my number one and my number two, Trapman and Asiasi. In terms of, I just don't, I don't think Cole Komet has the upside to ever materialize into one of those top six or top eight, the really impactful fantasy tight ends for us. I think Trapman and Asiasi could if things break right, their athleticism. Trapman was my number one tight end before the draft, just on the limited film that was out there from a small school. Uh, and I liked Asiasi. He was my number five going into the draft. And then I loved that he had some draft capital attached to him. Uh, I think Trapman could be a guy like Dallas Goddard. That, that, I think that yeah. could be his upside and his athletic ability. And I think he could develop into a better blocker, similar to Goddard, that they just weren't asked to do that at their lower levels of school because their receiving capabilities were so strong. So why were they going to be asked to block? So sometimes people... 
look at a guy who wasn't asked to do anything and automatically assume they can't. I kind of think Trapman might be that as well because he held his own from all reports down at the senior bowl. Final question of the night at the quarterback position. It's kind of twofold. One, the short-term or immediate impact of Joe Burrow, could it be somewhere between the spiked weeks of, of which we saw of Daniel Jones last year and the overall success of Kyler Murray? And long-term dynasty, is there a significant gap for you between Joe Burrow and Tua? And if so, is it exclusively because of the medical concerns of Tua or more the on-field evaluation? First and foremost, um, I would not be stunned if Joe Burrow was a top 12 fantasy quarterback this year. Like, I mean, we've seen some rookie quarterbacks come in. And look, I know the offensive line's a question, but T. Higgins, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Gio Bernard, Joe Mixon, solid group. Auden Tate can kind of play as like, I bet you they're going to play some 10 personnel this year because they don't really have a tight end on that roster who's worth a damn. So Auden Tate can maybe do that. John Ross maybe contributes something. The Bengals actually have a pretty solid offensive supporting cast, and I love Burrow. So I, it, you, first and foremost, if you say this on Twitter, you are going to get the Alabama fans down your throat. But if Tua was completely healthy, I think Joe Burrow's the better prospect. So there is a gap between Joe Burrow and Tua. I, I think Bur- I think I just think Burrow was better. Now, I think Tua is going to be a solid game manager at the NFL. Again, not a negative term. You just that's just the style that I think he's going to play. Um, Greg Cosell comped him to Drew Brees. At, if you want him to reach his peak, I think that's fair. Um, but I think the support system is in place for Joe Burrow to be the better fantasy asset long-term. And I actually think, believe it or not, he's a better runner than Tua as well. So I'm in on Joe Burrow long-term. I think there was a pretty wide gap between he and Tua for, for uh, Dynasty. Yeah, I'm right there. I think I think the running capability is very under-talked about. And for whatever reason, Tua, Tua is a good scrambler. And he, you know, when when he's healthy and he's got the athleticism to move around the pocket, playoff structure, but he's never been a runner. I think there's like this misconception that Tua's rushing ability is like a Russell Wilson. And that's not really his game. When, and when I look at Joe Burrow, I kind of think his rushing ability kind of could fall into the lines of what we saw out of Andrew Luck early in his career. Yeah. And I, I think that has a lot of bonus points that, that can be out there. And one follow-up on Joe Burrow, because I know you've talked a lot, you know, periodically here, but also on your podcast that you talk some best ball. Are you comfortable? You just said you think Joe Burrow could be top 12. You comfortable taking Joe Burrow as your number two quarterback in best ball, or you targeted him exclusively maybe as your number three with, with the rookie, you know, Sometimes struggling. Yeah, I I'm typically a two quarterback guy in in best ball. Sometimes I'll do a three quarterback build depending on how the draft board falls. But I am more than comfortable with Joe Burrow as my number two. Yeah, and, I'm especially right. if I feel good about my number one. If it's somebody like a Dak Prescott or a Kyler Murray, I I feel really good about Joe Burrow as my number two. Yeah, I in a lot of best ball drafts I've been doing, I've been getting him more times than not. He's been my QB two, and I've been taking three quarterbacks. But I, I do agree with you. I think he's going to have a lot of spiked weeks. Most most rookie quarterbacks do not come in with the assets around him in terms of the receivers and the running back. As long as Mixon doesn't go to route of Dalvin Cook and Brandon to hold out, and I do think that offensive line is going to be improved with the Jonah Williams back this year. Their last first round pick who didn't play due to injury so i'm excited about that Bengals offense and i still think their defense very shaky and you know in fantasy we love those uh those high scoring shootout games are are right up every fantasy football player's uh, alley for sure 
So Joe, thank you so much for this. Uh, greatly appreciate having you on the show. I hope this can become a regular where once a year I, I get you on to pick your brain about some of these you know, prospects each year. Please uh, let the audience know if they don't uh, follow you, where they can follow you on Twitter and anything else you just want to let them know about. You can find my work at fantasypoints.com, but you can also follow me on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. Stands for Fun Guy Dolan, like Kawhi Leonard. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, FG underscore Dolan on Twitter is where is where you can find me. Absolutely. Guys, make sure you're checking out all of Joe's work. Make sure you're listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast with Ross Tucker. Uh, excellent stuff there, as always. Again, on behalf of Joe, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.